Hi, my name is Michael Sano. I'm Jewish and I love Israel. So if you love Israel, if you love being Jewish, or if you have an unwavering connection to the land of Israel, then you're in the right place. Welcome to the 12 Cities in Israel podcast. Shalom, shalom, shalom. Hey, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? My name is Michael Sano, and welcome, welcome, welcome to the 12 Cities in Israel podcast, the only positive podcast about the people, the food, the culture, and the history of the state of Israel. Um, Hey, listen, if this is your first time watching, don't forget to hit the like button, the subscribe button, and the notification bell. And if you'd like to take us with you, you can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and on Spotify. Got it right. I'm always uh, messing that one up. So, finally. Um, Also, this episode is brought to you by the 12 Cities in Israel Modern Hebrew Flashcards. Our newest set is out, Body and Clothing. You can find it on Amazon for Kindle. And if you have Kindle Unlimited, um, it's free all of our other sets which are which i'll talk about at the end of the episode um are 9.99 so head on over to amazon and check them out um all right so welcome back to our the 12 cities in israel uh series um that we've been doing where we've been going over the cities and in the first part um we've been going over the history and in the second part two episodes per city uh we've been going over the modern city and this one what's this one about this one is about tveria which is um that's the hebrew name uh modern hebrew and it's tiberius so tiberius is the name the roman name of the city and it is called tveria in israel but i am going to be using um tiberius because it is the name that it held during most of its history. So when I'll be referring to it, I'll be referring to it in its historical sense. Um, so, all right, let's get rolling. But before we do that, hey, Peter and Jay Hats, uh, this is a sip of coffee for you. Mm-mm-mm. And as usual, I usually wind up hiccuping after this. So let's see if it comes this time. Hold on. All right, so if you drink coffee and then start speaking a lot, you wind up getting this weird air bubble. I don't know. Anyways, moving on. Um, So the city of Tiberias lies on the western shore of the Galilee. Um, It's named in honor of the second emperor of the Roman Empire, um, Tiberius, and he reigned from 14 to 37 CE. And it's also one of Judaism's four holy cities, which are Jerusalem, Tzvat, Hebron, and Tveria, Tiberias. So, um, and between the second and the 10th centuries, Tiberias was the largest Jewish city in the Galilee. And it's also one of the religious hubs for Jews in the land of Israel. And some would even say it's probably the birth of rabbinic, the home of, the birthplace of rabbinic Judaism. And I'm going to go into all that. So um, according to Jewish historical tradition, the city of Tiberias was built on the city, on the site of the ancient Israelite village of Rakat, 
um, which was first mentioned in the book of Joshua, Joshua 19.35, and was part of the land bequeathed, I love that word, given to the tribe of Naphtali, which is great because I know a guy named Naphtali, and he is a wrestler on the Israeli national team. I don't know where that came from. It's just, sorry. So... <laughs> The Jews who lived during the time when the Talmud was compiled uh, referred to the city not as Tiberias, but by its prior biblical name, Avrakat. It was also where um, the great Sanhedrin was, um, where they were re relocated to after the destruction of the temple, um, which happened in 70, and the uh, after the failure of the Bar Kokhba revolt in between 132 and 136. Um, it's in the Mishnaic and Talmudic period, um, say that three times fast, uh, Tiberias was an important spiritual center with the Mishnah being completed here in 200 CE, what? Under the supervision of Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, Judah the Prince, what an awesome name, and the Jerusalem Talmud was compiled there in 400 CE. So it is, it's got rabbinic street cred, right? Um, it is, it's where, it's where the hits were made. It's where, it's the Motown of rabbinic Judaism. Um, I don't know. I have no idea. That just, it, it made sense in my head. So, um, all right. So, Tiberius was founded in approximately 20 CE, so we're going to rewind a little bit, by the Herodian Tetrarchy of Galilee and Petraea under the Roman client king Herod Antipas, the son of Herod the Great. Um, Herod Antipas established the city as his capital in the Galilee, and in a politically savvy move, dun, 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 named it in honor of the Roman Emperor Tiberius. Pretty slick. Um, the city's location was chosen in part because of its proximity to a local spa, which had established itself in the area named Hamat Tiberius. This spa boasted around 17 natural mineral hot springs and was an extremely popular destination for people living in and visiting the region for almost 2,000 years and was believed to cure skin ailments as well as other medical conditions. And I'm going to go into that because some of the descriptions of this place throughout history are pretty hilarious, fascinating, and just fun. Um... Now, once Herod Antipas built and populated his new capital, Tiberius, uh, he, it complete with a palace that rested upon an acropolis, the city began to quickly gain prestige. And now this prestige was so great that the Sea of Galilee, the Canaanite, soon came to be known as the Sea of Tiberius. Um, however, the Jewish population continued to call it Yam Ha Kinetit, which is the name that it's called to this day, Kinetit. Um, it is important to note that this new population that inhabited Tiberias was mostly comprised of non-Jews brought into the city from throughout the rural Galilee region and other areas under Herod Antipas's control. So he did... Um, just, he, he said, Hey, you remember when you lived here? You don't anymore. You're moving to this really great city called Tiberias and it's on the Galilee. So boom. 
Um, that's what they did in those days. Um, now, the governance of the city of Tiberias was originally administered by a city council of 600 men. That is bureaucracy at its finest, with a committee of 10 until a Roman procurator was given control over the city after the death of Herod Agrippa I in 44 CE. And he's going to come up again. But um, wow, we just watched a thing. My wife and I just watched a thing on uh, on Julius Caesar and the bad rap that he gets. And um, not that I think the Romans are good guys or anything, but he did a lot of really great things for the Romans, including get rid of that massive bureaucracy of the corrupt Senate. And it it's kind of like 600 people? Wow. Imagine trying to get a parking ticket paid for your cart because that's what you would, ha you would have um, in that time. <laughs> Sorry. In the beginning, since it was essentially a Roman city, Tiberius Tiberius's religious inclinations were strictly pagan but later after becoming uh populated primarily by jewish settlers uh residents this changed and jewish religious practices became the norm in for the city so people would move from the galilee business opportunities would come up you would move and you would settle in tiberias um now in the days of Herod Antipas, some of the most religiously orthodox Jews who were struggling against the process of Hellenization, which had affected even some priestly groups, refused to settle there. Now, Hellenization, yes, it was the Roman period, but you have to understand you had the uh, Ptolemies and the um, Seleucid empires influencing uh, Jerusalem and Judea. And bringing in their gymnasiums and all of that. And the Romans, they were Hellenistic in, uh, in, in their culture and the things that they did. They just did it on a bigger, grander scale and more imperial. Um, but where was I? So uh, they had refused to settle there. Um, it is said that this is because the presence of a cemetery rendered the site ritually unclean to live in for the Jews and particularly for the priestly uh, caste. Um, now, Josephus mentions the area called today Hamat Tiberius in his work, The Antiquities of the Jews. He calls the village with the hot springs a mouse, and this name also appears again in his work, The Wars of the Jews. So you're finding that um, Tiberius is starting to, in, in very short time, become pretty important pretty pretty cool and and the 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 ritual cleansing of tiberius is really interesting because it showed that um we wanted to find a way to get a piece of the action just like everyone else you know what i mean it's almost like um i don't know it's just it's it's really interesting would they have would they have bothered uh, to try to ritually cleanse it, or would they have just said that's that thing over there, Tiberius, unless there was something, there was some opportunity for Jews. So it's pretty interesting. Human behavior in the ancient world with Michael Sun. Um, all right, so uh, let me take another sip of coffee. Hold on. So yeah, so that is the, uh, that's the Herodian period. And Tiberius is mentioned in also the, we're moving on into the Roman period. 
So Tiberius is mentioned in the Christian New Testament in John 6.23 and was the place from where boats sailed to the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee in Jesus's feeding of the multitude story. Um, and I guess that is when he had his miracle when he fed a lot of people um, out of nothing. And it took place right there um, in the Connecticut, but the boats left from Tiberius. So in 61 CE, Tiberius was annexed by Herod Agrippa I, different Herod, um, to his kingdom. Um, his capital, though, was Caesarea Philippi. And during the great Jewish revolt, the Jews who rose against Rome took control of the city of Tiberius and destroyed the Jewish ruler at the time, Herod Agrippa II's um, I'm sorry, Herod Agrippa annexed the city. And then during the Great Jewish Revolt, Herod Agrippa II's uh, palace was destroyed. And they prevented the city from being pillaged by his army. Now, Herod Agrippa was the eighth and final ruler, the second, uh, from the Herodian dynasty. And during the Great Jewish Revolt, he remained loyal to Rome. So, of course... He became persona non grata uh, with the revolting Jews. Um, eventually, the Jewish rebels were expelled from Tiberias, and while most other cities in the provinces of Judea, Galilee, and Idumea were razed, burned to the ground, um, Tiberias was spared because its inhabitants had decided not to fight against Rome. Um, now, after the fall of Jerusalem, in 70 CE, Tiberias became a city with a mixed population of Jews and Romans. And with Judea having been subdued, a portion of the surviving southern Jewish population migrated to the Galilee region. Um, there is no direct evidence that the city of Tiberias, as well as the rest of Galilee, took any part in the Bar Kokhba revolt of 132 to 136 CE. This allowed the city to continue to operate um, economically throughout the war, although it, it did suffer a decline. Um, following the expulsion of Jews from Judea after 135 CE, Tiberias and its neighboring town to the west, Zippori, um, which is an archaeological site that can be visited today, um, eventually went on to become major centers of Jewish culture. And we're going to see. Um, it's it's amazing. Um, this is the birth of rabbinic Judaism, the Judaism we know today. Now, in 145 CE, according to the Talmud, Rabbi Simeon Bar Yochai who was remarkably familiar with the Galilee because he had hid there for over a, 10 years. Over 10 years he hid there. Um, he cleansed the city of ritual impurity, um, thus allowing the Jewish leadership to resettle there after having been forced to leave Jew, uh, Judea, Jerusalem. So the great Sanhedrin, um, the Jewish court of 71 judges also fled from Jerusalem during the great Jewish revolt against Rome. And after several attempted moves to different locations uh, as it searched for a stable home, it eventually settled in Tiberias in about 150 CE. It was to be the final meeting place for the great Sanhedrin before its disbanding 
in the early Byzantine period. And that's just, that's sad. That's sad. That's the end of a type of Jewish culture that existed during the Second Temple period. But it, it's part of this revolutionary change in the concept of what Judaism is, what being a Jew is, what being Jewish is. And, uh, it, and Tiberius is at the heart of it. Um, now, in the mid-3rd century CE, Yochanan Barnapacha arrived and settled in Tiberias at a time when the city and its 13 synagogues, so you know there's a couple of Jews around, had become the home for Jewish religious scholarship in the region. So the Mishnah, which are the collected discussions, for those of you who don't know, of generations of rabbis um, from within the land of Israel, uh, primarily from Tiberias and Caesarea, is thought to have been compiled in Tiberias by Rabbi Judah Hanasi around two, 200 CE. We, we, I told you about that. Um, and then between 230, I think I did, then between 230 to 270 CE, the Jewish Talmud was compiled by Rabbi Yochanan Bar Napaka. So, boom, Tiberius is where we get our, um, our religious writings, our religious rulings, our religious opinions on things inside the Torah. It's, it's all of the critical thought that is done about not just the Torah, but our religion and our society and our culture that we have today all developed there. Um, wow. <laughs> it's pretty intense. Um, wow. Uh, so let me take another sip of coffee. I'm sorry. I'm a little blown away by this. It's pretty intense because, you know, we talk about how important Jerusalem is and we talk about how important, you know, all of these things are. And, but how much do people know about Tiberius? How much do people know about Tiberius? and its influence and impact on Jewish life and culture. I don't think people know. And hopefully after watching this, you'll be like, whoa, I got to go there. Excuse me, I just sniffed. Uh, so <laughs> moving on, um, by the 6th century, Tiberius was still the seat of Jewish religious learning. And in 614, during the final Jewish revolt, against the Byzantine Empire, which was the final revolt against the, Ro uh, the Romans, um, a portion of the Jewish population supported the invading Sasanian Persian Empire. Now, the Jewish rebels were financed by Benjamin of Tiberias, a man of incredible wealth, um, who enlisted in our many soldiers during the Jewish revolt against Emperor Heraclius in the 7th century Palestina province of the Byzantine Empire. Now in 628, the Byzantine army returned to Tiberias after the surrender of Jewish rebels and after the Sasanian Persians were defeated in the Battle of Nineveh. Benjamin of Tiberias was able to ensure an oath of protection from Emperor Heraclius for himself and for the Jews of Palestine which on its face is amazing. But hold your horses a year later, influenced by Christian monks in Jerusalem 
Emperor Heraclius broke his oath with Benjamin of Tiberias and initiated a wide-scale slaughter of the Jews in the region. Um, this massacre was responsible for the deaths of a large number of the Jewish population in Palestina, including massacres and loss of life in the Galilee. Way to go, Byzantine Empire. What a bunch of jerks. Um, but don't worry, because Tiberius was conquered by Arabs in 634. Um, so that's the end of the Byzantines. <laughs> More problems. Um, now, and one half of the houses during, after the Tiberius was conquered were confiscated by the Muslims and the other half were given to the Christian residents because all the, the Jews had been driven out of, I'm assuming out of Tiberius. Now, following this in 636, Tiberius then served as the Muslims regional capital following the Rashidun conquest um, this is part of the four Muslim conquests. Um, the Rashidun Caliphate then allowed 70 Jewish families from Tiberias to form what would become a renewed Jewish presence in Jerusalem, thus causing the importance of, Jeruz of Tiberias in Jewish life to decline. So basically, I guess from what this is saying is that uh, from the research I did, it's really confusing because they they say that things are destroyed and then they say, and then a couple of Jews showed up. And it's like, it's really, 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 um, they love to use in the historical record destroyed. Now, I don't know if destroyed, because to me it means wiped out, but to historians, I guess it doesn't mean wiped out. So apparently there were still Jews in Tiberias, um, and that Heraclius did not destroy all of them. Um, but there were no Jews in Jerusalem, and um, the Rashidun Caliphate brought Jews into Jerusalem, and there was a movement of Jews out of the Galilee and back into Jerusalem. So in 749, a different dynasty the Umayyad dynasty built a palace on the waterfront in Tiberias and revitalized the city after the Umayyad dynasty's regional capital, Beit Sheyan, was destroyed in an earthquake. So we know that during the Rashidun Caliphate, uh, Tiberias suffered some type of decline and the Umayyads rebuilt. So from the 8th century to the end of the 10th century, Jewish scholarship returned and flourished in Tiberias. So we have a return of the Jews to Tiberias. This is the time when the oral traditions of ancient Hebrew, which are still being used today, were codified. And one of the leading members of the Tiberian Masoretic community, Aaron ben Moses ben Asher, refined the oral tradition now known as Tiberian Hebrew. Um, ben Asher is also credited with putting the final touches on what would be called the Aleppo Codex. This is wow, which is the most accurate manuscript in existence today of the Hebrew scriptures. So I don't know if you know this, but you can read a Torah from the Dead Sea Scrolls and a Torah from um, today, printed to today uh, or yesterday. Um, and it will be word for word the same. 
and that's the and the Aleppo Codex, which was a compilation of all of those um, uh, Torah scrolls, is just wow, um, blown away, blown away. Um, so in 985, the Arab geographer Al Muqaddasi describes Tiberius in his writings as a. Are you ready for this? Hedonistic city afflicted by heat. For two months, they dance. For two months, they gobble. For two months, they swat. For two months, they go about naked. For two months, they play the reed flute. And for two months, they wallow in the mud. Um, as the capital of Jordan province and a city in the valley of Canaan, the town's narrow, hot, is narrow, hot in summer and unhealthy, there are here eight natural hot baths where no fuel need be used and numberless basins besides of boiling water. The mosque is large and fine and stands in the marketplace. Its floor is laid in pebbles set on stone drums placed close to one another. According to Mukadas, those who suffered, this is no lie, this is what he wrote, uh, from scabs or ulcers and other such diseases came to Tiberius to bathe in the hot springs for three days. Afterwards, they dip in another spring, which is cold, whereupon they become cured. So uh, remember I told you, you have Josephus talking about the, uh, the healing qualities of these uh, hot baths. Now you have, uh, what's his name? Mukadasa, this geographer. And it just, it continues. So um, it's really kind of cool, though, the way he describes it. So in 1033, Tiberius is said to have been destroyed by an earthquake. Remember I said they use this term destroyed. But in 1047, Persian poet, scholar, and traveler uh, Nasir-i-Kusru visited Tiberius and described a city with a strong wall which began at the border of the lake and went all around the town except on the waterfront. So is it destroyed or not destroyed? I think it's just they, um, they it, it's so traumatic that when they write about it, they write that it was destroyed. Because in 1066, Tiberius experienced, Tiberius experienced another earthquake. This one destroyed the city's great mosque, which was built in 749, to resemble the great mosque of Damascus. So that when they say the city was destroyed, I think that gives you context and, and a little bit of understanding in that things that were important to residents of this city was destroyed. The entire city was not destroyed. But important things, and during these, uh, these Muslim caliphates, the mosque was very important. So for them, the city was destroyed. I'm going to have another sip of coffee, and then we're going to move into the Crusader period. All right, so soon after the capture of Jerusalem, <clears throat> during the First Crusade, Tiberius was occupied by the Franks. Tancred, the Italo-Norman leader of the First Crusade and later Prince of the Galilee, who gives yourself... I'm, I'm the Prince of whatever, uh, <laughs> made it the capital of the Principality of Galilee in the kingdom of Jerusalem. That, that blows my mind. You can just make yourself the prince of something, I guess, right? 
Um, this region was at times called the Principality of Tiberius or the Tiberiad. And in 1099, the original site of the city was abandoned and settlement shifted north to its present location. So Tiberius, Tveria, where you go now, is not where Tiberius was. Um, it was moved. And in its present location, St. Peter's Church, uh, which was originally built by the Crusaders, it still stands there to this day. Um, but it's been altered and reconstructed over the years. And in the late 12th century, Tiberius's Jewish community numbered 50 Jewish families. And it has been said that the best manuscripts of the Torah could be found in Tiberius. So even during the Crusades, it was still a seat of Jewish learning. So in 1187, Saladin besieged Tiberius, and after six days, he conquered the city. It fell. And on July 4th, 1187, just six miles outside the city, Saladin defeated the Crusaders, coming to relieve Tiberius at the Battle of Hattin. But the Crusaders drove, finally drove the Muslims out of the city um, and reoccupied it during the Third Crusade. In 1204, the celebrated rabbi... Are you ready for this? Remember I told you the Talmud, we got the Mishnah, we've got the Aleppo Codex. I'm about to blow your mind. In 1204, the celebrated rabbi Moshe ben Mamon, otherwise known as Mamonides or Rambam, what? A leading Jewish legal scholar, philosopher, and physician of this period died in Egypt and was later buried in Tiberias. His tomb is one of the city's important pilgrimage is one of the city's most important pilgrimage sites and it is one of the most important sites to pilgrimage sites to Jews around the world and it's in it's in Tiberius um the Rambam's buried in Tiberius wow um and finally in 1265 the Crusaders were driven from the city by the Egyptian Mamluks, um, who ruled until the Ottoman conquest in 1516, thus ending the Crusader era, the Crusader period for the city of Tiberias. Um, so I told you guys, there is a ton of history about this place. There is so much history. So much has happened in the land of Israel, um, and that Tiberius has been a part of. I need another sip of coffee. Hold on. I need it so much coffee because I'm reading because there's so much history to read to you guys. So um, during the 16th century, we're moving into the Ottoman period. Excuse me. Tiberius was a small village. And in 1522, when Italian rabbi Moses Basola visited Tiberius during his trip to Palestine, he noted that it was a big city, and now it's ruined and desolate. So, well, again, we're seeing decline. We're seeing prestige decline, prestige decline, prestige decline, um, importance decline. Um, during the Ottoman reign of Sultan, uh, Sultan, am I saying this right? Selim, Selim the first, the Reyes 
Catholico, the Catholic monarchs began establishing the Inquisition. So this is when the Inquisition started to happen during the reign of Ottoman Sultan Selim. And uh, many, ooh, I don't want to sneeze. Hold on. Many conversos and Sephardic Jews. Oh, I feel like I'm going to sneeze. No, I'm not. All right. So during this time, during, uh, <laughs> during the, uh, the Inquisition, um, many Sephardic Jews and conversos um, who were Jews who converted to Catholicism in order to not be murdered by the church um, fled to the Ottoman provinces. And upon this, the Sultan encouraged uh, them to settle in Palestine. And in 1558, a Portuguese-born Murano or Jewish convert to Catholicism, Doña Gracia was granted tax-collecting rights in Tiberias and to surrounding villages by Suleiman I. Doña Gracia's dream was for Tiberias to become a refuge for Jews and was able to obtain a permit to establish Jewish autonomy there. I don't think you understand how important this is. Dona Gracia was a woman. She was a woman, a Jewish woman who was forced to convert, who was given authority to establish a taxable province in the Ottoman Empire for and also in the hopes that it would become a haven for Jews. It gets better. Hold on. By 50, in 1561, her nephew, Joseph Nasi, Lord of Tiberias, uh, people are just giving themselves title, encouraged Jews to settle in Tiberias. And after a decree from the Sultan, he and Joseph Ben Adruth rebuilt the city walls and laid the groundwork for a textile silk industry uh, the planting of mulberry trees and also urged craftsmen to move there. Plans were initially made for Jews to move from the Papal States to the region. This would have been the savior to the Jews. So many things would never, so many bad things would have never happened to the Jews if this decree had been allowed to go through. But the plan was abandoned when the Ottoman Empire. And the Republic of Venice went to war. Way to go. Way to go, Venice. Um, I'm just blown away because if you think about it, the dream of the state of Israel, the dream of a homeland for Jews, um, was established by Dona Gracia. Um, Dona Gracia. And this is, this is a fascinating story, and I need to go into her life in an episode once we get through all of these. So in 1624, the Sultan recognized Fakr al-Din II as Lord of Arabistan. Uh, this is an area from Aleppo to the borders of in Syria to the borders of Egypt. And the Druze leader made Tiberias his capital. But this lasted only until 1660 when the city was destroyed during a Druze power struggle in the Galilee that also resulted in the destruction of Tzvat. I had no idea that there was a Druze warlord power struggle in the Galilee. Um, did you guys? It's amazing, right? And Tiberius uh, suffered for it. So with the destruction of the city by the Druze, 
while this destruction of the city by the Druze resulted in the abandonment of Tiberias by its Jewish community, Tzfat recovered and remained an important Jewish center in the Galilee. This wouldn't last for long, though, because in the 1720s, the town was fortified by Zahir al-Umar of the Zaidani uh, clan, and an agreement with was signed with the neighboring Bedouin tribes to prevent looting. This was a big deal. Now, accounts tell of the great admiration people had for Zahir and for his war against bandits on the roads. Um, this was a a problem for merchants throughout history. Um, the building of these fortifications was witnessed in 1727 by the British-born bishop and traveler Richard Pocock, who attributed the strengthening of the old walls to a dispute Zahir had with the Pasha of Damascus, who, under instructions from the Ottomans, uh, unsuccessfully laid siege to Tiberius in 742, but he did go try to go back, but died en route. Um, just a little, I don't know. Um, now, under Zahir, Jewish families were encouraged to settle in Tiberius. Remember how I said... Um, it became less important after the Druze um, battles, power struggle. Well, Zahir encouraged Jewish families to return to Tiberias, and he even invited Rabbi Chaim Abu Lafia of Smyrna to rebuild the Jewish community, which included constructing a synagogue located in the court of the Jews, and that synagogue still stands to this day. Um in 1780, while under the reign of the Akko-based Ottoman governor Ahmed el-Jazar, who was also known as the Butcher, horrible name, a number of Polish Jews settled in Tiberias. This influx of Jews continued, and Swiss geographer Johann Ludwig, Ludwig Burkhardt, who created a sketch of Tiberias, which was published in 1822, noted that a quarter of the population was Jewish and and had originated from Poland, Spain, North Africa, and other parts of Syria. So you're seeing influx from the Inquisition. You're seeing a return of Jews to Tiberias. And a lot of this has to do with its historical importance. People knew it was a place that was important. It was one of the four holy cities. So people, when they came, they came to Tiberias. So during both the 18th and 19th centuries, Tiberius received a further influx of rabbis uh, who worked to reestablish it as a center for Jewish learning. So we have a return of rabbis in the 18th and 19th century and a continuation of this um, rabbinic scholarly tradition. Now, in 1834, Tiberius was again devastated by the 1837 Galilee earthquake that killed approximately 600 people, including roughly 500 Jews. And following this, an American expedition to the region from 1847 to 1848 reported that Tiberius was still in a state of disrepair following the natural disaster. Eventually, though, the city was rebuilt under the guidance of Spanish-born rabbi Chaim Shmuel HaKohen Canorti, who settled in Tiberias at the age of 45. He moved from Spain at the age of 45. And he was a driving force in the restoration of the city. Nowadays, that's like, eh, whatever. Um, he made Aliyah. 
But back then, that is such an, a difficult journey and a tremendous event uh, for someone 45 years old. Now, um, in 1885, the Scottish doctor and minister, uh, David Watt Torrance, opened his mission, uh, opened a mission hospital in Tiberias. Um, this hospital accepted patients of all races, colors, creeds, religions, anything. How fantastic is that? Um, and, but eventually it moved to a larger, and eventually it moved to a larger premises um, at Beit uh, Abu Shamnel Abu Khana in 1894. And in 1923, his son, Dr. Herbert Watt Torrance, uh, was appointed head of the hospital until it became a maternity hospital um, after the establishment of the state of Israel. And now it is currently a hotel, which is kind of cool. You can go there. Um, I'm telling you about stuff from history and you can go there. Boom. Um, I just, I find that fascinating. Uh, sorry. And it's just a cool story about a cool guy who did a cool thing for a bunch of people in Tiberias. Um, now... That brings us to the British Mandate, uh, the end of the Ottoman era. And with the arrival of the British Mandate in 1922, Tiberius already maintained a Jewish majority. And in the beginning, relations between the Arabs and the Jews in Tiberius was good, but there were a few violent incidents that occurred during the 1920 Jerusalem riots and later um, the 1929 Arab riots. Uh, that occurred throughout Palestine. Now, despite all this violence, the first modern spot in Tiberias was built in 1929. We keep going back to the spot. People still want the spot. And yeah, so, but tragedy came to Tiberias on November 11th, 1934, as floodwaters carrying mudstone and boulders rushed down the slopes um, and filled the streets and buildings of the city. Deforestation of the slopes above Tiberius and the simple fact that the city was built um, with rows of tightly packed houses and buildings on narrow roads meant that the water was able to move so rapidly that many people did not have time to escape, let alone even know what was going on. Um, until it was too late. And the result was an incredibly tragic loss of life and property. And following this, the city was rebuilt and uh, the slopes of Tiberias, um, the, the city was rebuilt on the slopes of Tiberias and the British mandate uh, government planted the Swiss forest on the slopes above the town. Uh, to hold the soil in place and to prevent similar disasters in the future. So during this reconstruction, a new seawall was built, and this moved the shoreline several yards out onto the lake from its previous location. So, man, this was a horrible event, horrible, horrible natural disaster. Um, but tragedy would again strike um, the city of Tiberias on October 2nd, um, 1938, when Arab militants murdered 19 Jews in Tiberias during an Arab riot. Uh, of the victims, 11 of them were children. Then on October 27, 1938, Arabs from Tiberias murdered the city's Jewish mayor, Zaki 
Ahadif. And all of this occurred during the 1936-1938 Arab Revolt in Palestine that sparked as a response to Arab demands to the British for national independence in Palestine and an end to the policy of open-ended Jewish immigration and Jewish land uh, purchases. So, uh, yeah, we have a lot of history in Tiberius. Um, Some of it good, some of it amazing, and some of it tragic, as you saw at the end of it. But all of it is interesting, dynamic, um, and important. So, um, yeah, uh, that's it. I hope you enjoyed it. All right. Um, hey, if you like this episode, hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, and the notification bell. Um, if you want to take this episode with you, you can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Tuner, and uh, TuneIn, and on Spotify. And as I said, um, this episode was brought to you by the 12 Cities in Israel Modern Hebrew Flashcard Set uh, System Set. Uh, flashcards and they are available on Amazon for Kindle. You can, uh, we just released our most recent one, which is, uh, body and clothing and it has body, body parts. You, you can describe your whole body. We give you all the words for the body. Uh, we give you clothing. We give you colors, a little added bonus in there for that. And, uh, as, uh, as you know, we also have numbers in hebrew and we have a set to teach you the aleph bet in both print and script and uh they're available on amazon for kindle um for kindle unlimited uh they're free you can get them for free um and 9.99 uh for all the sets if you want to purchase them also who is a jew um donna korokova what's up uh, she's our illustrator for our children's book, Who is a Jew, Our Bedtime Story, and that's going to be coming pretty soon. The illustrations are absolutely amazing. Um, she is a, a, a gifted artist, and we are blessed to have her. Um, and yeah, all right, so that's it. Um, all right, Todorba, Yitrotve, Yalabai. Shabbat 
כי ישבתי לנו. 